friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends on a jam-packed hump day. No messing around today. We've got unbelievable games in Toronto and Edmonton on tap. We've got Elliot Friedman and Sam Cosentino on those unbelievable games. We've also got three more in the NHL tonight. An NBA doubleheader on Sportsnet 1. ESPN's Dave McMenamin on the show. We've also got afternoon baseball highlights from the Bronx. And I know I've used the word unbelievable a tad too much already. But that afternoon baseball came after an unbelievable game last night. Between the Jays and the Yankees that left the Bluebirds heartbroken and pissed. An Aaron Judge walk-off big fly provided the heartbreak. And the umpires provided the anger after an inexplicable tossing of Jimmy Garcia. Before we get to all the hockey and the Leafs boner, let's get you caught up to date on what happened in the finale of a mini two-game series in New York as the Jays tried to bounce back from last night and snap their three-game slide. Don't do it. Yeah, the dun-dun-dun is very fitting, Mr. Rubinoff. Bottom of the fourth, we begin Jays leading 1-0. And this wall scraper gets out on the other side of that wall. Torres, three-run shot off of Jose Barrios. Barrios, Barrios, I got it wrong. 361 feet, three-run shot made it 3-1 Yankees. Top five, Bo Bichette on second after a double now. Jamison Tyon uncorks. Bichette doesn't go to third base. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. waving him on and then waving at strike three. Strikes out to end the inning. Toronto 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. Vladdy doing his best Bo Jackson impersonation. I will say when Vladdy's bat hit the ground, it busted a little bit. Bo just busted it on the old way. Top six runners in the corners. Chapman, that's a deep fly. 390 feet. Now check this out. Shai Davidi points out in Twitter, Torres, 361-foot home run, is a homer in just seven ballparks. Chapman's 390-foot sack fly is a homer in 13 ballparks. Not much luck, and because of it, the Jays are down 3-2, but they're not helping themselves. Same inning, Santiago Espinal. Kiner Falafa bobbles, and so did Alejandro Kirk, but he bobbles himself off the base at second. He stepped on a foot. That causes him to go over, and the Jays just playing sloppy baseball, and it is costing them. Bottom of the sixth inning, Torres again coming through. Camel clutch. He had five ribeyes, and the Yankees had a 5-2 lead. Top of the ninth now, 5-3. Bichette going down the line. Foul. Jay's dugout hoping to bust out. Instead, next pitch. Chapman, 100 miles an hour. Got him. Next batter. Toronto down to their final out. Vladdy representing the tying run at the plate. And he is unable to do anything with it. Jay's season worst. Fourth straight loss. 5-3 the final after the game. Charlie Montoyo spoke about uh, some struggles here. He's the manager. When you play close games, which won a lot of them at the beginning, uh, you got to make the little plays, and we did all the time. Just now, 
at the end of the day, we, we got to score runs, and we got to hit with man scoring position. Our defense has been fine, and, and pitching for the most part has been good. Hitters are contagious, so I know that's coming, but one of the main reasons we had lost this couple of games or, or, or this, we struggled this road trip so far is because we haven't been good with men in scoring position, and that's just a fact. Jesse Rubinoff uh, here for the first things first. Uh, we started a little bit differently because we had highlights, Mr. Rubinoff. It's a different day today. Um, Early Jays. But let's start the question, and I guess you're going to ask me about these struggles. Yeah. I mean, look, they're not scoring. Uh, that's an issue. They're losing. That's an issue. They've lost four in a row. Jays fans are starting to get a little, uh, it's time to panic. Jeff Blair on Twitter earlier today as he's doing the Blue Jays talk immediately following the mm -hmm. game just simply tweeted out earlier, panic question mark. We have a panic button that Sid and I have both put on this uh, iPad that you never touch and that when we started this show, I asked you to uh, be the controller of this iPad. Mm. Can you spot the panic button? Oh, I see. That. Yeah, it's bright red staring okay. right in the face. I am yeah. going to give some information to the audience and then we're going to allow them to tell us whether or not we should push sure, the panic sure. button. Because, listen, you don't push the panic button when it's over. You push the panic button so that you can avoid it being over. Me, I think you know what I think. What I think is kind of long view, kind of 162 games. But I'll say this. The last five World Series winners have gone like this. The Braves started through 32 games. Jays are 17 and 15 now. The Braves were 15 and 17 last year. They won the World Series. The Dodgers were really good. They've been really good for a long time. The Nationals were 14 and 18 through 32. Red Sox in 2018 were really good. And the Astros in 2017 were really good. So I'll let you decide what you think we should do with the panic button. I'm not there yet. I will wait to see what happens in Tampa in what is now, again, another important series for the Jays against the Rays. You play the top two teams in the American League East one after another, and it's quite simple. Three guys aren't hitting for the Jays. Vladdy is pressing. I think you saw that today especially. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is hot and cold, and I think at the end of last year, people thought this is what he is in this lineup. He hasn't he been that yep. in this lineup. And Teoscar Hernandez is just coming back from an injury and hasn't looked like himself. You have to give him his own spring training here in the middle of the season or the early part of the season to get it sorted out. And let's be honest, Bo just started hitting, right? Yep. So the Jays have a lineup where you expected more out of those four guys and you haven't gotten it. Now, will they hit? 16 points lower than anyone else in Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position? No. That will correct itself over the year. But they haven't replaced Simeon. Mm -hmm. To be fair, Marcus Simeon hasn't replaced Marcus Simeon. <laughs> yeah. And Randall Grichuk was deemed redundant mm -hmm. in this lineup. And right now, you could probably use Randall Grichuk, couldn't you? And I know he's hot and cold, too. But sometimes you would catch the hot at the right time. And that's not happening with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So there are three guys, four core pieces on this squad that need to be better for this team to be better. And given their history, you would suggest that things will get better. I don't, I don't know what Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is over 162. I think we're getting an idea that he's just a hot and cold dude mm -hmm. and that you're going to have to live with that. But I think Bo, Vladdy, and Teoscar 
can all be better and should all be better given the 162. So you're not pushing the panic button is what I'm I, No, I'm not pushing the panic button. At 17 and 15, I think, listen, the losing seven of nine ball games is interesting. It's troubling. Mm-hmm. You start worrying about it when that turns into a month. Um, but let, let's be honest, this is a tough division, and you can't hand away games. Uh, we knew that going in. We knew that last year. And we know that one game can be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So I'm concerned, but I'm not at panic button yet. One of those games was last night. And boy, was it a game. It was uh, arguably the biggest ump show we've seen in Major League Baseball this year, maybe for even longer than that. Uh, What did you make of the situation with Jimmy Garcia getting tossed, Charlie Montoyo eventually getting tossed? It was complete chaos in the Bronx last night. To be honest with you, I thought he did it on purpose. When I first saw it, I thought he did it on purpose. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, in that situation, given... Like, the umpires, when they get into the spot where they have the conversation, they're supposed to have that same internal conversation that I'm having, Mm -hmm. which is, this makes no sense. (laughs) Why would you hit a guy in this spot, given the struggles that you have had over the last little while? And the only context that they had was Heineman, the catcher, got into it with Josh Donaldson, and that was the reason why you ended up where you ended up on that decision. But as, as Pete Walker said, I believe that that was a horse bleep decision. It, it seemed like it was unanimous all across baseball last night that this was a joke. Like, it wasn't just Jays fans. It was, like, some Yankees fans chiming in and saying, what's going on? Red Sox fans. All of baseball Twitter, basically. And it, there's almost nothing you can say. Like, I, I loved... In postgame, Charlie Montoyo's explanation, Arash Madani was leading the scrum, and he, after Charlie's explanation, Arash says, it makes no sense. That makes no sense. And everyone was kind of in agreement that it just didn't make any sense. Just a bizarre situation. For those wondering uh, what the umpires said after the game, the pool reporter uh, spoke to uh, Marquez and um, Alfonso Marquez, who was the crew chief, mm-hmm. and he said, I believe the pool reporter was Shai Davidi. Yep. Uh, He said, earlier in the game, there were some words exchanged between Donaldson and Toronto's catcher, who he doesn't know. So Shai had to say Tyler Heineman. So that definitely played into it. There were pretty strong words. Then you have a game-tying home run, and the second pitch, which we deem intentional, was the reason for the ejection. All that really played into it. Uh, Donaldson, who was hit, said he didn't think it was intentional. (laughs) Like that, that tells everything. You know what? Like, if I'm an umpire and Josh Donaldson says that, like, I am pissed. But it feels like, honestly, it feels like umpires and officials in the NBA and the NHL feel like they're under fire for some reason and are making themselves part of the show when they're not sp- like the, they're making the, it worse. The truest definition of a great official is that you don't see them. And in every sport right now, we're seeing them. And I wonder if it's because they're human beings and they're feeling like they are being jobbed. Yep. By a slow motion, by the... I don't know what it is, by the fact that no one backs them up. I don't know what it is, but they definitely injected themselves into that conversation yesterday. And they did it repeatedly. Because they could have also let, when Bo Bichette got beamed, mm-hmm. or at least got... 
it was like a buzz. It was a it was a flyby. It was it was a buzz, but it was a hard pitch. Yeah, no, yeah. but it was a hard pitch, but you would never throw anyone out for that. And I don't think Charlie Montoyo was saying that you should throw out. Um, the, I forget who the pitcher was who threw that pitch. Um, Whatever. It was, a, it, was a high, it was a high heater. It was a high tight to Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. And Bo Bichette reacted, and the Jays bench reacted, and Charlie Montoyo ended up getting tossed as well. It was the residue and, from what had happened earlier. And all Charlie was saying was, this is just as ridiculous as you throwing out Jimmy yes. Garcia. Yes. And he was right. Yes. It feels like we're Jogging talking about... Jogging the guy is who it was. feels like we're talking about umpires, referees, every single day, it, it, which is not good. To your point, you don't want to be talking about umps No, it's a day. joke. Yeah, and, don't... and to be honest with you, it's, you're above that. And yeah. I don't know why a lot of officials aren't above that right now. It's weird. Arden Zwelling coming up later to talk uh, much more on the Blue Jays. And it wasn't looking good for the Toronto Maple Leafs early in Game 5. But whoop, Tampa jumped out to a quick 2-0 lead in the first. But the Buds rallied to deliver a win to remember. For Leafs fans, Toronto now heads south with a chance to close out the series. So, Tim, I ask you, who deserves the most credit for the victory Before last night? Before we get into credit and, and, and who's the scapegoat. No, first off, that was a lot of fun. Like Both Canadian games were entertaining as hell, and I know that we're here to break it all down yep. and tell you where we're going next and what's going to happen next. But there are a lot of different feelings in Edmonton and Toronto today, and I get it. There are also a lot of similarities between Edmonton and Toronto, at least in my mind. But those games were both wildly entertaining last night. Even if you were um, an unbiased, if you were just standing on the sidelines watching those two hockey games like I was, it was remarkably entertaining, and it's important that you enjoy that. Enjoy the journey. This is what makes sports fun. Uh, enjoy the passion that unites us all, <laughs> which is sports and maybe a few Leaf fans after last night. Uh, I don't know if those Leaf fans at 0-2 were really enjoying it, but it is amazing to see the difference between the fans and Twitter and who was drawing the heat at 2 nothing down and who was going to be traded at 2 nothing down and then to see those very same players who everyone was trading who everyone was scapegoating, who everyone was burning on Twitter, be the heroes for the Toronto Maple Leafs. No question about it. It's You know what I, th- I thought of watching the game? i got to give you credit. Special players make special plays yeah. on special days. And that's what last night was. You've been waiting all series, basically. I don't think Matthews and Marner have had a bad series. They, they've actually been pretty good most of the series. But you were waiting for... Game one and game three, special players made special plays. Yeah, yeah. and you were waiting last night, finally, for John Tavares, notably, to to step up, and William Nylander to do it. I know he had two goals in the game before, but that was honestly somehow irrelevant. And they did. The the play that Tavares made setting up Morgan Riley was an elite hockey play. Like That that was like a Sidney Crosby in the corner, making moves. That was the play that you come to expect from a player – that makes $11 million and is the leader of this team. And he did it last night when it mattered most. So you got to give credit to these guys but, for stepping up. So did you think, like, and, and maybe I'm speaking to Leaf fans yep. who were killing John Tavares, did you think that that wouldn't show up? Like that it was gone forever? I think, I really thought, uh, I had my doubts that it was ever going to come back. And part of the reason is because the way he plays is he's not the, the most fleet of foot anymore. So it seems like he gets exposed. 
And you exposed need, where? Ex- exposed not, in not transition. Defensively. defensively, he's been okay. But he's in, been really good it, defensively. In, it, but it's been it's been papered over by the fact that he struggled so immensely offensively. But that shouldn't be papered over by a team that needs good defensive players. And listen, the Leafs' core four has taken a ton of heat. And these playoff woes over the last what, five years would explain why they have taken heat. But you're right. Nylander was about to eat it. He had one goal and three points and was buzzing a lot of the night. Yep. Tavares has heard it all series. He had the one goal that went off his leg. I don't know if you take credit, but sometimes that's how the damn yeah, burst. And the great setup on the Riley goal, like you mentioned. And then Matthews and Marner to yep. close it out. And Marner plays 23-52 in the game and has the one assist off the pads. Matthews plays 23-42. He gets the game-winning goal. He gets the celly, and he also led the Leafs with seven hits Crazy. in the game. And so that core four that were all about to be dealt were all a huge part <laughs> of why the Leafs are in a spot where they lead 3-2. But there was a lot of people talking about what the difference was. Are you one of the people who believe it was Jason Spezza? I, sure, it, it may have been Jason Spezza, but my question is, why does that need to happen? It seems like every single year they're answering the same questions with the same responses. We didn't start on time. We didn't start on time. Why does it take a veteran like Jason Spezza to get up in the dressing room and give that talk? Like, why, as a professional, are you not ready to go for game five a pivotal game five in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, what's going on? Right. It's not just a pivotal game not five. It's funny because in our morning call, you were saying that you thought Jason Spezza deserved a lot of credit. No, I think he was getting a lot of credit. Uh-huh. And, I, and I tweeted, uh, build a statue. It was facetious, but build a statue for Jason Spezza <laughs> because he turned uh, the series. But it doesn't make sense to me how they continue to need these, like, Leaders to step up in the room. Like, why are you so bad in the first period? Why are you coming out so slow? Like, you're, you should be just as desperate as the other team, oh, if not more, when you haven't won a cup, haven't won a round. And I'm, right, I'm right there with you. Like, never mind first period. Like, in the middle of a game five, why do you need the inspirational speech from Jason Spezza in, in a series tied at two after a lackluster first period? After a bad game four with a chance to take a stranglehold, after losing the opening round in each of the last yeah. five seasons, you're playing the two-time defending cup champs, and you need the motivational speech from Jason Spezza in the middle of the period? I, I don't know what the pep talk did. I don't know why you need the pep like, talk. Credit but- to him, I guess. <laughs> if it worked, it worked. I mean, we can, we can, you know, criticize them for needing it, but if it worked, credit mm-hmm. to him. I, I think you like. I really think that like, you need to figure out why. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, it's why bad. do you need that repeatedly? Like, do you remember he's fought? Remember they were so against Columbus in the qualifying round. Jason Spezza in uh, down two games to one yep. had to fight Dean Kukin to get the boys going in a two nothing deficit. And they ended up winning this game, and this was going to be the moment for the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> where they finally realized what they had and all that talent, and it spurred the comeback, and it was going to be the difference. And he's been good in the postseason before, but 
they lost to Columbus. Yeah. They went to game five and they were blanked in game five. And Spezza was good against the Montreal Canadiens as well. And people thought maybe this was the rallying cry for the team. And they lost to the Montreal Canadiens. Like, Leafs fans have been searching for the moment. Hell, Leafs management has been searching for that rallying moment. And you have to wonder, given the circumstances, given the start, given the last five seasons of failure, some of it heartbreaking failure, you have to wonder if that was the game that you look back and say that was the start of something. That rally in Game 5 against Tampa was the difference. That was the game where you knew that this team is different, that this year was different. Last night's game could have been that moment, but once again, you have to finish. And we all know how tough that is for this team, especially against this group. Since 2017, not only are the Leafs 1-8 and eight in games where they lead a series, since 2013, the franchise is an ugly 0-8 in elimination games. And you're facing a team that is not only two-time defending cup champs, but they haven't lost consecutive games in the playoffs in 52 outings. That's an NHL record by a staggering 13 games. More than anyone else ever in the history of the game. Look at the teams on that list. They are the who's who of NHL teams. And that's because they have a goalie the Leafs are facing who is 16-0 after a loss in the postseason since 2020 with a 945 save percentage and a 141 goals against average with five shutouts. Tell you one thing. The Leafs could have that moment. This game, this game five, could be that moment for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they can't come out flat again. There is way too much hanging in the balance, though I will say that I thought that in game four, and they came out flat, and I thought that in the first period of game five. Yeah. So who the bleep knows? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about Spezza and be negative about, you know, why did they need that? But at the end of the day, they rose to the occasion, and it was uh, impressive, to say the least. Uh, we go to Edmonton, where despite being outshot 43-28 in game five, the Oilers forced Edmonton, forced overtime, thanks to late goals from Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. But Adrian Kempe quickly ended it putting Edmonton on the brink of elimination after the game with David and Dreisaitl addressed the team's effort. we got to come out with our skating legs underneath us. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we haven't had that the last couple of games, real, not, not any games really in the series. We knew that this was the game that they were going to play. You know, they play a structured game. They, they play a 1-3-1. A one, one. You know, we know that. Um, you know, we found ways to produce offense. Um, you know, we score four tonight. That needs to be enough in a playoff game. Obviously, it's not. Um, we've got to keep the bucket over it. It's the biggest issue for the Oilers right now. There starts. It's been the same issue for a long time. I mean, you could throw Mike Smith. He wasn't great in that game. But not. what the hell are you doing in that first period? Like, that is a pivotal game five, and you do exactly what you did in game four mm-hmm. for the Edmonton Oilers. Game four, first period. Kings outshoot the Oilers 20-10 to and lead 2-0. So you think after this entire year where all the talk was about their starts, that they would come out and have a better start. And instead, game five, first period, Kings outshoot the Oilers 16-5 to and lead 1-0. Like, this is now a couple of different coaches. This is now a couple of different months. This is now an ongoing thing. It's time for the group 
and you heard Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid basically say it, in the po- they need to look at each other in the mirror and figure out what the hell is causing that because you can't have that in your biggest game of the year twice. Yep. And game four and game five have both been their biggest game of the year and they have come out flat. You can blame Mike Smith. There were some soft goals on him, but that's the entire room. And guess what? In overtime, they came out flat as well. And you know who was on the ice for that game-winning goal by Kempe? McDavid. And Drysaddle, was he not? Yeah. Well, McDavid got beat. He was on the ice for a minute and a half. So you can say what you want. Guys got to look at each other in that room and be better. And for me, that's the answer. And there's a lot of different stats. There's a lot of different ways that you can shake that. But I just, you, you have to come out with that urgency. That's why I see similarities between Edmonton and Toronto. Yeah. And both teams with this ridiculous skill at the top end and then not having the entirety of a game seems to me to be jaw-dropping. Like, at least if you do it with effort, yes. then people will give you, okay, you know, you outplayed them, you outworked them. No, nah, the Kings outplayed them and outworked them when it mattered the most. That's it, right? Toronto got away with it. Edmonton didn't. And now Edmonton will be down Darnell this Nurse. This is massive. Absolutely For, a game, for game six, an elimination game because of a headbutt on Philip Deneau last night. So, I mean, you basically said it. This is absolutely massive. Uh, Darnell Nurse is out for this headbutt. I, I didn't think that it was a suspendable offense, but I also don't know what the hell he was doing. Yeah, I kind of felt like he was lunging with his shoulder towards Deno, but it, it, whatever it is, it doesn't look good. No, right? like... That's the end of it. It doesn't look good. Throw, you're going to get suspended for that. I, I love the NHL where if you throw a punch, it's nothing, but if you lead with your head, you are suspended. I don't know. I think he was trying to throw a shoulder, so I. So I. and I think he was trying to stand them up, and I think... but. When you watch the video, it's hard to argue. (laughs) You put yourself in a position where you could be suspended for the most important game of the year, and now that is a massive hole in an already um, suspect defense. That's exactly right. And Philip Deneau right in the middle of it again. Unbelievable. Uh, Still to come, Arden Swilling on the Jays and the Yankees and the Umps, and apparently maybe the panic button. Dave McMenon ahead of a pair of Game 5s in the NBA. Sam Cosentino, if he thinks Shane Wright is more Guy Lafleur than Don Wickenheiser... And after the break, Elliot Friedman stops by as we continue to dissect a pair of wild and crazy games in Toronto and Edmonton. Tim and friends, oftentimes also wild and crazy. Kempe powering to the net. He scores! It's the game winner, and the Los Angeles Kings lead the series 3-2. Here's Barger. They threw him out. Threw him out of the game. That's a mistake. Lance Barrett just threw somebody else out. Charlie's gone. The first overall selection in the 2022 NHL draft belongs to the Montreal Canadiens. We're doing it the right way tonight. We're above the puck. We're making it tough for them to get entry in our zone. And when they do, we're working our balls off. Sorry, excuse me. And getting the puck out of the zone quick. Sorry about that. It's okay. Last night, follow that NHL. Three games on tap. Pens will try and close out the Rangers. Game 5, MSG. Sportsnet, CBC. Panthers and Caps tied at 2. We'll play Game 5 in Florida. See that one on Sportsnet 360. That series remarkably intriguing. While 
later, the Flames trying to take a 3-2 series lead against the Stars at home. See that one? Sportsnet and CBC. Speaking of seeing someone on Sportsnet and CBC, Elliot Friedman joins us, almost suited and booted this time around. I like kind of, sort of, casual freeze. I'm ready to go. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for the show, right here, right now. Uh, you know, I, I had to say last time, last week when I was supposed to be on, I was late. And I looked not ready for television, mm-hmm. so today I figured I would come into the studio and look more ready for television. <laughs> kind of, sort of ready for television. Uh, this is 3 at 32, brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. All right, let's start with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs from sure. last night. How do you how do you know if that was the – this is the most difficult question I may ever ask you. How do you know if that was the moment – in the search for the Toronto Maple Leafs and more specifically their fans of the moment? We'll know if it's the moment if they close out the series. Like, you know, like that's, you know, Merrick asked me today on radio, he says, do we now say that Jack Campbell is out playing Andre Vasilevsky? I said, I'll I'll tell you if they close out the series. Uh, You know, last night was such a hilarious ride. It's every reason that we all love sports, right? (laughs) So, you know, I grew up in Toronto. I've got a lot of family who are big Leaf fans. I've got a lot of friends who are big Leaf fans. My brother-in-law texts me during the first period last night. He's like, what the fuck? is going on it's, it's like they're blowing it again and my buddies who are big Leaf fans are they're they're, they're like they're they're killing them. they're killing me and then at the end of the game like I knew it I knew they were gonna pull it out and and you know my brother, same guys you're same absolutely guys, same guy like they've got they've got the GM fired they've got the coach fired they've got all the players traded at the end of the game they're like yeah I knew they were gonna pull it out Look, um, you know, Brian Spear, who, as you know, produces, uh, you know, produces the Hockey Night Show, he, he had the great point last night in the parking garage as we were leaving the game. He said, you've got, in game six, you've got the team that's won one game in five years when they've had a lead in a series mm-hmm. versus the team that in the last three playoffs is 15-0 and when they lose a game. Like, you know, like, if you're going to prove that you're different or you're going to, it's going to be either game six or it's going to be game seven. Right. You know, they've been here before. I said at the beginning of the series, I thought they were good. I picked Tampa because I don't like to pick against Tampa, but I thought Toronto was good enough to beat Tampa. Now they've got a chance to prove it. The, the interesting part of this to me is with Tampa, the margin for error becomes even more slim. Like, I understand the matchups with Boston were pretty tough. I don't know if Columbus was the giant killer that everyone's trying to make them out to be in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but this Tampa team is real. Oh, like, yeah. This is, that's a goalie who hasn't lost consecutive games in two and a half playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, it's unbelievable what they have done. That, that record that you're talking about, that 53 or 52 consecutive games without losing back-to-back games is better than the 1976 Montreal Canadiens. You got, like... By a significant margin. Like, yep. all those things, that margin of error is so slim that you feel like if the Leafs can find it within themselves to get over this hump, it could be the kind of thing that they can ride. Well, look, they, they've earned this series lead. Like, this is not a fluke. They've deserved it. They haven't, you know, like every team, they, always, they haven't always played great at times. No. But they, they have earned this league. I, I, I saw, I watched John Cooper last, uh, this morning. He said, look, like, we're handing it to them. Eh, I think Toronto's earned the lead. They've played well enough to be up three to two in this series. Now you got to close it out. I got to tell you, on that board you just showed about the most amazing thing about it, the Islanders aren't there. Like they won 19 straight playoff series, a record I don't think will ever be broken. Yeah, they didn't lose a lot either, and <laughs> That's and they're not even on that yeah. board, which is pretty crazy. You could see like 
There's that. There's that board again. That you know. And, and the other thing that I thought was big last night was a Campbell was one hero. He saved. He saved their butts. Much times, yeah. He absolutely saved their butts. But the the core four, the guys who were eating up the largest percentage of the salary, uh, Nylander had three points, Tavares had two points, and Marner and Matthews combined on that game-winning goal. That was two guys understanding what each other was going to do. Yeah. It was like the mental link. They Marner knew what to do, and Matthews knew what Marner was going to do, and that's why they won that game on that goal. It, it's You can't write it better. The one thing I remember is, remember last year, they're up 3-1 on Montreal, and articles are appearing. Finally, the Leafs are playing in the vision that... They had for right. them, and you know we like right. don't count your chickens before they've hatched. No, they got to finish it to make it all worthwhile, and that's what we said in the opening. It's funny how you are echoing what Jesse and I were talking. You want to weigh in on Spezza having to give a motivational speech because that was the only thing that we were ripping the Leafs about. Like, how do you need the Spezza? motivational speech to get you through in a game five against the two-time defending cup champs given the last five years like you would think that you'd be able to get up for that game you know it's funny my 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 brother a couple of my buddies were saying maybe they should hire him to coach the last two (laughs) actually i have to say this about keith i thought in the last three days and just in terms of not letting the noise get to them and, and ha- like earlier this year he got criticized for calling them soft and he's shown yeah. before he can really have an edge. I thought the way he answered questions in the aftermath of game four and on, I thought he did the best job not to let things go crazy and out of control. I don't know if you know this, but do you, I have the feeling that Keith behind the closed doors and maybe this is the all or nothing from Amazon that I saw Keith behind closed doors says different things than Keith in front of the media. Like, I think he knows what he's doing. I would bet in the last 72 hours, absolutely. Like, like I remember when he was hired, someone said to me to watch Nylander. And I said, why is this? And he goes, because when Keith had Nylander with the Marlies, he was really, really hard on him. Right. And I would guarantee to you, Nylander had that awful shift that everybody watched in game four. And he had a bad start last night, but he finished great, and he was one of the heroes of the game. I have no doubt that Ke- that Nylander and Keefe had yeah. some pretty intense conversations uh, over the last Leafs leading goal scorer and scorer over the last two playoff seasons. Wild. William Nylander. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get to the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, a tough start for them. The similarities, to me, are striking yep. between Toronto and Edmonton and what they're trying to accomplish and the history that they have and what happens when they don't play well. Um, bad starts, kind of laying an egg. And uh, this nurse suspension for a game is absolutely massive. You cannot lose your temper like that. You you can't. And uh, you you just can't. And now we see what the consequences are. Uh, When I was in grade 12, uh, I used to to have a really bad temper. And uh, I smashed, I was so mad about something, I punched an old grandfather clock. In our house. I'm glad the, <laughs> co- the, yeah, the clock on the end was very important. Yeah. Okay. And a grandfather clock yeah, in our not house, a and I broke it. Yeah. And my father grounded me for like two weeks. Yeah. And I said, this penalty is unacceptable. It's too harsh. And he said to me, he said, you have to learn to control your temper because if you don't, you will. it will hurt you at a time where you can't afford it to hurt you. Right. So I always think about that. And when I when I saw that with Nurse last night, 
And then, you know, I, I looked at the Chris Weidman got the one game. I forgot about the Buchnevich one until this morning. But it was it was textbook. Like they had I, I bet you that there were probably people in the NHL office who were probably thinking like, Okay, Edmonton's on you know, they could get knocked out. Is there any way we could not suspend him? Um, yeah. And but they had they had no choice. They they had he gave them no choice but to suspend him. Uh, key we only got about a minute left there. Yeah. Key to tonight's game for Calgary. It felt like the blueprint was there in game four. Um but asking for a carryover in this edition yeah. of the playoffs seems ridiculous. So what's your key? Well, I think, I think the thing that they did really well that game was they forgot about the... Look, if you, if you want to fight people, yeah. wait till do it next year. Play. Play. And that's what you got to do. Yeah, Cal, Dallas took them off their game. Yeah, and, and, and it was Dallas that was rattled in game one. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were chasing and were distracted. But it was Calgary in game two and three who were distracted. And I love the idea of putting Lucic at center yeah. and having him go to Jamie Benn. Anyone fights, it's me. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You want to fight? Let's go. And the rest I, of I them, just play. Yeah, the rest just of them play. just play. Especially Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. He's so talented, but he also can be distracted at times yeah. by things like that. Frija, always appreciate you. And coming down and seeing us <laughs> for the first time. I miss you, Timmy. I, I hear you. long hear, history. Look at, yeah, there's Instagram versus reality. <laughs> That's what we call that right there. Uh, all right, Preach, appreciate it, buddy, as right. I throw the rest. That's good camera work. That's Canadian Screen Award winning and camera Look at that, Carson over there doing work. All right, time for a break. NBA second round has been full of drama. It was home cooking last night as Phoenix and Miami blowout wins. Blast Philly native and ESPN ball reporter Dave McMenamin, if James Harden's legacy is on the line, Get you set for a double dip on Sportsnet 1. We'll do all that next right here on Tim and Friends. Thanks, Preach. See you, bud. More of the Flames, Oilers, Leafs coming up. But on the hard court, Bucks and Celtics have been must-see basketball so far. You can see game number five on Sportsnet 1, 7 Eastern with NBA tip-off starting at 6.30 Eastern. Then it's game five from Memphis as the Warriors try and close out a jawless Grizz. That one goes 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific. And it is all on Sportsnet 1. Here to uh, help us break it down is our friend and ESPN employee Dave McMenamin. What's up, Dave? How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, second round of the playoffs, hoping we get to the conference finals soon enough so I can get a couple days back home in between this Suns-Mavs series before we gear back up for what looks to be Suns-Warriors, which is has been a series I think all of us covering the NBA yeah. have been looking forward to all year long. Okay, I know that you're on the road. And I received one of those, uh, one of those uh, media notes that says, uh, practice time has been moved up. Are you actually going to practice right now in Phoenix, Arizona? Uh, I, I flew from Phoenix to Dallas oh, this Dallas, morning. Sorry, my I'm bad, yeah. outside my hotel in Dallas, which is about two miles away from the arena uh, where the Mavericks practice. The Suns are a rare NBA team who actually travel in the city that they're going to uh, the day that they they travel. And right. so – they 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 flew from Phoenix this morning and they're getting on the practice court uh, momentarily and I'm gonna scoot over there so as we speak you, you might see me in the background getting into an Uber and we'll keep it going we'll keep talking about the NBA uh, just introduce me to the Uber driver if you do get into an Uber um, I, I know you're covering Suns and Mavs and I want to get to it but 
season Bucks the best second round matchup? Yeah, I mean, because those games have been such momentum swings uh, from one to the other. And right now, watching the series, it's hard to say that either team is the clear cut favorite. The Seas have dealt with the absence of Marcus Smart, and they still won. Robert Williams and still won. Uh, the Bucks have been doing all this without Chris Middleton. Giannis has looked absolutely dominant at times. Game four absolutely looked like it was going in the Bucks' direction. They would have had a stranglehold, 3-1 lead over that series. And all of a sudden, Al Horford turns back the clock with a wonderful fourth-quarter performance. That was fueled by Giannis Antetokounmpo being one of the best players in basketball and, and sticking his check out, chest out a little bit, peacocking a little bit, uh, and you know, kind of woke up old man River in, in Horford. And so that's been – I don't know if, if each game has been so close, yeah. but the fact that as you look at that series right now, I can't really pick a favorite. That makes it really intriguing going down these last two or three games. If Giannis yanks him through this, is that like one of the most legendary performances that you've seen? Like, I feel like, like just, I know you guys don't give out playoff MVP in, you have finals MVP in basketball. I feel like you should give out playoff MVP, but you might as well give him playoff MVP if he yanks him through this series. Yeah, you know, like, there would still be two rounds to go. Yes. <laughs> I think you add more weight. It's kind of like an NCAA tournament bracket. You know, the, the, the games that you pick in the Final Four, the, those teams are worth more than the games that you pick <laughs> you. in, in the, the first round. But he's been so good so far. And, and again, Chris Middleton is so vital to what they do. And the fact that they haven't really missed too much of a beat with Giannis playing more of a playmaker, getting guys like Pat Connaughton, uh, getting guys – like Grayson Allen involved. Right. Uh, it's been absolutely impressive. And, and right now, you say that they still have a very legitimate shot to win it all, be back-to-back champions. And and that's, you know, that you give credit to Mike Budenholzer and you give credit to the role players, but it's because Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing like the best player in the world right now. Walking to his Uber is Dave McMenamin here on Walking Turner's Walking to Rants. the Uber. <laughs> uh, hey, as a Philly area kid, is James Harden's legacy on the line here, or is the process afforded another year because of Embiid's injuries? Into the Uber he goes smooth. And uh, I know you have AirPods on, so I can't say hi to your Uber driver. <laughs> um, sir, I'm, I'm doing a little radio uh, hit while we're driving. I'm saying hello. The radio host says hello to you. Uh, <laughs> To McAuliffe, great guy up in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> Harden, Harden, looked, <laughs> Harden looked so good uh, in game four. And then you got down to Miami or game five, and it was, oh, yeah, this is why we've been talking about him for the last two months and wondered, does he deserve this extension or not? Because, again, it was one-on-five basketball. There was very little semblance of a competitive edge on the defensive side of things. It was going into the lane with no plan and either uh, flailing up a, a missed floater or getting a turnover that led to runouts on the other end. I was at the Suns-Mavericks game last night. I look at the, the screen, and it's a 12-point game. I start transcribing the pregame remarks that uh, we heard from Monty Williams. I look back up at the screen, and now it's 22. And in, in, a, in a game that could really sway the series uh very disappointing and and you know you got to give credit to joan bean being out there he gets hit in the face by Dwayne deadman and and still keeps going and then you know that's i think should be a sign to all the players around the league that 
uh, take nights off for tiki tech injuries. This is what it's all about. You should be out there with the game on the line. Love it. This guy's a fractured face that is doing it. Uh, but uh, right now, James Harden, I think it's a coin flip uh, as to what version of him we'll see in game six. The Philadelphia home crowd's going to help him, I-, I believe, and there'll be better energy overall Maybe. as a group. But was it a flash in the pan that game four versus something you could rely on? Right. And, and if he doesn't show up, I wonder what that Philly crowd does to him because we saw it in round one against the Toronto Raptors where they can turn on you in a hurry. Uh, all right. Before we let you go and enjoy the company of your Uber driver, um, does Luca and the Mavs have a chance in this series? And uh, folks at home, remember, Dave's in an Uber in Dallas, so the guy could be listening to what he's about to say. Yeah, absolutely they have a chance. Now, what happened in Game 5, you would say that... You're doing that for the Uber driver. Any semblance... <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at my own safety. All right, let's go here. <laughs> you guys don't pay me enough to risk my life for this answer. Uh, but no, I, I, honestly, I, I think you look at what the Mavericks did in games three and four. There was tremendous adjustments made by Jason Kidd, where it was Luka Doncic, but it was also uh, moving the ball around the perimeter, not playing a center. Dwight Powell getting very limited minutes, and the impact the guys like Maxi Kleber and Davis Bertans combined with these kind of two-way players in Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson wreaking havoc defensively and then being able to spread the ball out on the other end, it was really effective. And again, playing at home, role players tend to play better. And so uh, the Suns feel like they found something defensively in the third quarter of Game 5. But just because they did it in that moment doesn't mean they can replicate it on the road. This thing's far from over. Uh, even if the Suns can get past the Mavericks tomorrow night, I, I don't expect a situation where the Mavericks would lay down. I think they'll be they'll be fighting tooth and nail. Uh, like Joel Embiid playing through adversity, Dave McMenamin powering through. Give that girl or guy five stars. Absolutely, I will. <laughs> there is Dave McMenamin. On the road in Dallas. That's a first for Tim and Friends. In the, we used to do uh, Darren Millard in a taxi cab on the road. Five minutes with Millard. That's how it was born. But in the Uber, McMenamin breaking new ground here on Tim and Friends. After the break, we will reset. Actually, I think Pearlson's not in. Jenny Smith. <laughs> it's a theme. It's a theme. Tim and Friends, time for two. Now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Chief Dogs. Hour number two, Tim and friends coming to you live from the Sportsnet studios in downtown Toronto. Just a half hour to go on Sportsnet ahead of Hockey Central as the big boys take over on Sportsnet. Ken Reed uh, was going to join us, but he's not stopping by today. I think he's out because he's later on. To, ah, whatever. Sammy Cos is actually sitting right there, and that's what I was looking at. Full repertoire comes your way on Sportsnet 360, which includes a full hour of whole grain goodness and Arden's dwelling on the Jays, who played a matinee in the Bronx earlier today. Here's a look at how that went down. Bottom of the fourth, Jays up one nothing when Glaber Torres. This is a lazy fly ball in a lot of parks. Yankee Stadium, it just gets out 361 feet, and I don't believe that. I think it was even shorter than 361. 3-1 Yankees at that point. Then the Jays, some sloppy stuff here. 
This is Bo Bichette on a pass ball, not realizing it's a pass ball, not moving to third base. Vladdy at the plate, and he strikes out, and he pulls an old Bo Jackson and busts that ish over his knees. Toronto again. 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. This is another one. Kiner for Leffa bobbles. And Alejandro Kirk trips over a foot, falls off the base, is tagged out. Sloppy, sloppy baseball from the Jays. Labor Torres had five RBIs. Here's two more of them as the Yankees win it 5-3, the final half of the game. George Springer was asked about the difference between the Jays in April and their recent stretch here in May. I think what gets lost on a lot of people is, you know, he just had a long stretch and, you know, played some very, very tough teams, had some close games, you know, had a lot of mentally draining games, a lot of physically draining games. I mean, you know, it's not an excuse for why, you know, we're, we're, we're not doing what, what we expect to do as a team, but, you know, it happens. And, I mean, we played 30 out of 31 days to – to start the year against really good teams is is uh, is hard to do, but you know it's 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 on to the next one. You know we still got 130 plus games to go, and there's still time to right the ship. But there needs to be you know a little bit of urgency. I like that response. Again, Arden's Welling coming up a little later on to hockey and the Flames looking to keep their momentum going as they face the Stars. Game number five. Momentum has been hard in these NHL playoffs. We're going to the Saddle Dome tonight. Series deadlocked at two apiece in what has been a low-scoring, grinded-out battle. With more on tonight's game, let's go to Calgary. Let's go to that Saddle Dome and check in with Dan Murphy. Dan? Tim, hello. Yes, the uh, Calgary Flames would love to just control V game number four and control C it right here, a little copy-paste action, because really it's the first time we saw the regular season Flames show up in these playoffs. Just dominant at five on five, didn't give the Stars much at all. So no surprise that Daryl Sutter not planning uh, any uh, changes tonight. If any, uh, he would go back to 12 forwards and six defense. He went with 11 and seven in that game four, worked out brilliantly. But shockingly, he wouldn't tell us if he was going to revert to the 12 and 6. As for the Dallas Stars, they're going to be making many changes. Uh, Rick Bonus, happy to tell us about those wholesale changes. The biggest one, breaking up his top line which has been pretty much untouched all season long. Jason Robertson, he has 41 goals and 79 points in the regular season, has struggled so far in these playoffs. Just one assist through four games. He's off the top line. He's going to be playing with Ben and Sagan. Bonus saying he hopes that two veterans can drag the young man into the fight. Uh, so that means Michael Raffle moving up the top line to play with Rupe Hintz and Pavelski. Also, he's going to make a couple of moves. He's bringing out Gurianov and Radulov. They won't play. Studenich gets in. So does Jacob Peterson. And this will be the young man's first National Hockey League playoff game. Bono says they have to play that defense first style to win. They cannot trade chances with uh, the Calgary Flames, and it's obvious that they don't have the firepower. Through four games, they've scored seven goals. Pavelski's got three of them, and two of them were into an open net by other guys. So uh, they really need to try to win another of those grinded out 2 nothing games to try to get home ice back in this series. Did, did it feel a little bit like maybe the dam had burst when they finally got shot number, I believe, 39 or 36 past Jake Ottinger in game number four? It feels like the goalies have, uh, have been the stars in this series. 
Well, yeah, and Ottinger is getting most of the headlines, and for good reasons. If you make 50 saves uh, in a game, people are going to talk about you. And if you look at, uh, for the starters in the playoffs at least, at the top of the save percentage list is Ottinger, uh, 69, uh, or 96, excuse me, uh, percent so far. But you know who's second? That would be Jacob Marshall, yeah. uh, save rate of 952. Uh, he hasn't been as busy as Ottinger. He's only faced, uh, f- what, 45 fewer shots than the Dallas Stars net minor, but he's been quietly excellent, you know. Uh, had to make some big saves at 0-0 in that game, so he's coming up with the big saves at the right time, and that's really what the Flames fans saw in the regular season. He's bringing that in the playoffs. He has been uh, as advertised in this, his first playoff games ever in the National Hockey League with fans in the building. Uh, Danny boy, appreciate you going to the arena so early, having them blast the horn behind you while you're doing your live hit. Uh, but you power on. You are a true professional, and we appreciate it here. Thanks so much, Tim. Have a great day. You, go, you too. There's Dan Murphy in Calgary, Stars and Flames. Elsewhere, Penguins will try and close out the Rangers amazingly in five games tonight. The Penguins' offense has been on fire. Louis Domingue. Third stringer to steady starter in net with more on tonight's game. Let's go to Broadway and visit with Carolyn Cameron. What's going on, Carolyn? Thanks, Tim. Murph is really good remembering numbers. I'm just going to try and completely avoid them. But I have to be careful because there's a lot of Rangers fans around. But there's been a really negative feeling around the team ever since that game four loss. And it started post-game when Gerard Gallant said that his team played soft all over the ice and also said there wasn't much of a commitment to defense which I think was also his way of kind of taking the pressure off Igor Shosturkin who just yesterday as you both know was named a finalist a candidate for the Vesna trophy and he's been pulled in back-to-back starts for the first time in his career but again Gallant putting it more on the team than just his number one starter who he also squashed any rumors before they could even start post-game in game four saying he's the best goalie in the world and he's getting the start for game five. You know it's funny we looked at this series and wondered if this could be the end of the Pittsburgh Penguins as we know it a bunch of free agents on the squad but it seems like all those free agents to be all that experience may be shining through here Cameron. Oh, absolutely. And for the Rangers side, like Gallant saying just an hour ago, he said on his side he doesn't think experience is the problem. But then Mike Sullivan this morning just speaking at length at how he just has full confidence in his leadership team of obviously Malkin, Latang, and Crosby. Not just in the fact that they've all been playing so well, Latang logging more minutes than he ever has in his career, Malkin with the OT winner in game one, and well, Crosby being Crosby and having multi-point games in every single game this series, but also just the fact that a game like this, an elimination game for the Rangers, that the Penguins, they've been here before, they know what it takes, but in turn, they also respect the challenge that's ahead, so we'll see if that experience pays off tonight. Uh, Who needs the numbers when you bring the beats? I love the background music (laughs) shining through. (laughs) Uh, Cameron, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, I'm not a good dancer. That was was right. You're better than Jesse. Carolyn Cameron joining us from Broadway. Uh, Here's the schedule once again tonight. Pens and Rangers, Sportsnet and CBC. You can see Carolyn Cameron there. Caps, Panthers, Game 5, Sportsnet 360, Stars and Flames on Sportsnet. And CBC, huge news today for the Edmonton Oilers. Darnell Nurse has been suspended one game for headbutting Philippe Danone in last night's Game 5 loss, meaning he will miss the elimination game in L.A. as the Oilers try and keep their season alive. Nurse has been logging close to 22 minutes of ice time per game in this series. The finalists for the Calder Trophy have been announced. You heard Cameron mention the Vesna. Leafs Michael Bunting, Ducks Trevor Zegras, and Moe Sider. 
Three nominees for the Rookie of the Year. Odds on favorite looks like it is the Detroit Red Wing defenseman. Winner will be announced a little later on in the playoffs. From the Rookie of the Year to NHL on Sportsnet analyst and draft insider Sam Cosentino in the studio. What's going on, buddy? Nice to be here. Who was the vagrant with the sunglasses on his head you had in here before? <laughs> the, the unkempt one? <laughs> Elliot Friedman, that's his name, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we did do the Instagram versus reality. Did you see it on the uh, the old uh, Twitter machine? No. Check it out when Twitter? you leave it because uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what's, Twitter? what's this Twitter thing? Uh, yeah. So let's talk about before we, there we go. How about this? We'll just show it to you. Yeah. Instagram versus reality. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Looks real good in the picture That's there. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Blowing up. <laughs> well, we'll get one of those for you too, Sam. Uh, so let's, <laughs> let, let's talk about uh, the conversation that we played on this show yesterday, you and Shane Wright. Um, is it obvious that it's going to be Shane Wright in Montreal to Montreal? I'd say 90% right now. I still think there's some some things to be determined. Now that you have the order, I think things change a little bit. Everyone settles into their meetings and that sort of thing. And then the the one thing that's left are the Worlds. So we do have a few players. Yuri right. Slavkovsky being one of them that will play in the Worlds. The two right-shot defensemen, Simon Nemec and uh, and David Juracek, will both play. Juracek's been hurt most of the year, so this is going to be really important for him. Um can they get to the top spot? I don't think so. I think Logan Cooley is the guy that would challenge Shane Wright if that were the case. Right. But I still firmly believe that it's that it's Shane's to lose. Uh, Slavkovsky, obviously, when you win MVP at the Olympics yeah. against grown-ass men, seemed to be climbing up, and I wondered if he would challenge for the one. What's the difference between one and three here? There's there's not a lot of difference, to be honest with you. And you get a little bit of different in each player. With Shane, you're getting a more rounded player. Mm-hmm. With Slavkovsky, you're getting that size that everyone covets, especially watching the playoffs this time of year. And with Cooley, you're getting probably the most dynamic player in the draft. So it kind of depends what you're what you're looking for and what, and what you like. I just think that the completeness in Shane's game, the maturity he has, he had a bad year, he put up 94 points. I, I still think he's the guy. And... and- like, a tough year, right? Like, give him what a lot of kids who were in the OHL. Like, maybe explain that. I, I, I brought it up on the show yesterday, and we didn't have enough time to kind of expand on yeah. it. But the whole year off in the OHL and then trying to go to the under-18s and make that, like, really meaningful. Like, just a tough year and an unprecedented year. Yeah, and so everyone's going to look at you and say, well, the rest of the guys didn't play a regular schedule and the rest of the Ontario players didn't play, which is all true. But there's only been one player in this draft class that has had the number one title on his head for three years and that's Shane so deal with all that and then deal with the fact that you are the guy who's always had that pressure on you you even had that pressure on you when you weren't playing so so that's the one thing and he's handled it like a pro I really enjoyed the sit down with him you know we tried to bring out a couple of things that that you would wouldn't normally get from Shane and I think we we did that and I love what he said at the end like I'm I'm the number one guy yeah. That's it's cool. You don't get that often because a lot of times guys are so robotic and they don't want to rock <laughs> the boat. Especially you know? in hockey. Especially in hockey. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, let's move on to tonight. Yeah. Um, it is the Calgary Flames. It is the Dallas Stars. Did it feel to you like maybe the Flames found what they needed? It, was, it felt like a slow burn, pardon the pun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you you got to get your big guys going. you got to kind of settle into the game. And the problem is, when you're held to such a high standard from the regular season, that's the bar everyone expects you to get to right away in the playoffs. And that's not always the case. There's another team in the playoffs that's pretty good. That's the Dallas Stars. They've been around it here going back to last year. So they have some of that recent experience. And uh, 
They have really good players. I mean, we haven't heard a whole lot from Ben or Sagan. We've heard everything about that top line. But the top line for Calgary getting back up to speed, that's, that's huge. This is also like matchups make fights. Like, these are two teams that, and I think that Daryl Sutter, like, maybe we give him a little credit for maybe, it's not as old school as you think. Like, it yeah. felt like the, the Flames realized that they had more talent and opened up a little bit when that's not Daryl Sutter hockey. That's not, but yeah. maybe that was kind of the thing that got them over the hump to realize that, hey, we are as good as the team that we saw in the regular season. And I got to tell you, like, I picked them to win the Cup, you know, when in the prognostications or right. whatever, because I like every element that they have. Goaltending, yep. players have won it, coaches won it, really good top line, lots of beef in the back end, especially in that back pairing. Like everything that we've seen in cup winners in the last five years, Calgary possesses that. I almost like, and, and Murph brought it up a little bit, I almost like the fact that people have forgotten about Markstrom because of the job that Ottinger has done. Yeah. But if you look at some of the saves that he has made and the timing of some of those saves, like it felt like... He was a big part of how they got over the hump finally. And ironically enough, after lobbying for more 5-on-5 five five play on the power play. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, I don't know. I love Markson. I love a big, tall guy. We watched them all season long because they did so many of the, of the Flames games, yeah. like uh, the intermissions. And so to, to see him get to that point where everyone around him was confident, a lot of times, you know, you know what he's done all year. But you just kind of want to see it behind you to the same level that you saw it in the regular season. And, and with Markstrom, we're, we're getting that. Uh, let's, uh, let's stay in Alberta for a flash. Yeah. Oh, man. The Darnell Nurse uh, suspension. Is that like, could that be a nail in the coffin of this team? Oftentimes in these situations, you find a way to rally around that. And that comes with the maturity of players. And I think if I look at the Maple Leafs and look at how Austin Matthews played, you know, you'd never see him take a run at a guy at the numbers before. He did that to Sergachev. He played with so much bite because he's risen to the occasion. And I think the same will stand true here for Dreisaitl, for um, Connor McDavid, for Evan Bouchard on the back end. Duncan Keith can play better than what he's played so far in the series. So there's a lot more for the guys around him to give, to play for Nurse, who's been a real battler all year long. I think sometimes those situations will help. And, you know, it'll help getting, getting back home as well. But, man, a guy who's playing 23, 24 a night, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing to absorb in the elimination game. Do you, I mean, you've been around the game long enough, but do you know why teams come out flat? Like, this has been something that has is, that is, uh, hounded this team the entire year, and to do it in two straight games? So it's funny. So not long ago, I was having a conversation with a former NHL executive, and I'm like, what are your, what are your take in the playoffs? He's like, no momentum. Sometimes you get a team and they just run and they steamroll. We saw it with Montreal last year. Yeah. Down 3-1 Toronto and then they steamroll through Winnipeg. Go, yeah. go, go. We haven't seen that. Other than maybe Colorado, okay? And I think they're a little bit of, a, of an anomaly here. But we haven't seen that kind of momentous run. And so teams come out flat is because they're not picking up from last game. A lot of times they're picking up from a loss. You're playing nervous to start the game. Oh, my gosh, we're scored against first, like Toronto last night. And then you settle into your game and you start to go. But you're not typically getting that 60 minutes right? because of these huge momentum swings that we're seeing from game to game. Yeah, in every series. Yeah. Um, all right, Leafs, what do you think? <laughs> oh, man. It's going to be really difficult to close it out in that, in that barn. From day one, I thought this was a seven-game series. Um, and a couple of things that we're waiting for to happen. You think about Vasilevsky, 16-0 after a loss, facing elimination. That's the situation he's in tomorrow, but he hasn't really stolen a game. He just seems to play really well in those situations. Yeah. But 
I don't think this Maple Leafs team under this current core, under this current management, is ever going to get a better opportunity than what they have in front of them. So you want to close it out in Game 6. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it happens potentially um, Saturday night at home in front of the Toronto fans. Although, full disclosure, I did pick Tampa to win the Series in 7. The, uh, the interesting part about this is these teams are both so good. And I know you've got to get going here because you're going to host something very soon. But they're both so good that both goalies have had flashes of brilliance. Yes. And they both have save percentages under 9. I know. There's been no sustainability. Yeah. But, man, you're talking about the world's best players. Austin Matthews, if he's, you know, if McDavid's one, this guy's two. Right. And some people would argue he's one. Mitch Marner's an elite top three playmaker in the entire league. Kucherov. You, know, you might say he's the best player in the league or argue that he's a top three guy. Hedman, 80 points. We didn't even think about him as being one of those those guys this year because of what Makar did, because of what Yossi did. He still had 80 points. Right. There's so many good players in the series. Amazing the depth of talent on these on these two teams. It's It's been a little different than what I expected, yeah. to be honest with you. I thought the games would be you know a little tighter set aside last night. Uh, but it's it's been entertaining, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, wildly, Keep you on the edge of the seat, right? Wildly entertaining <laughs> last night. If you're just an innocent bystander watching those two games oh, with no man. skin in the game, my goodness, were they both entertaining. And both those barns were buzzing yeah, in Edmonton and Toronto. And it'll be the same in Calgary. You can catch Sammy Cos coming up at 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. Time for a break. We will head to our night on the ice and get you set for that Hockey Central. But Sammy will be on, and we'll do that next right here. On Tim and Friends. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. The Blue Jays are in the Bronx for a very quick two-game series. High drive, right field. See ya! A game-tying three-run home run. Donaldson gets plucked. They They're threw him out. out. That's a mistake. Lance Barrett just threw somebody else out. Charlie's gone. Drill deep to left field. There it goes! See ya! See ya! And the Yankees have come back to win it. 0-2 to right field. Teoscar back, and it's gone. And they take a 3-1 lead. And as a hitter, you just have to tell yourself it's going to come. Not in this at bat, and there's some visible frustration for Vladimir Guerrero. A ground ball. Torres runs to the bag for one and throws to first for two, and that's that. They continue to struggle. This game is like so many of the others on this road trip. A big chance early, got something, didn't get as much as they should have, and then quiet. When it was 15 and 8, the record for the Toronto Blue Jays, things were feeling good. Now 17 and 15, six games back of now the best team in baseball, the New York Yankees, who have won 15 of their last 17 ball games after another victory tonight as the frustration mounts for the Toronto Blue Jays. Here to help us break it down is Arden Zwelling of the At the Letters podcast in Sportsnet.ca. What's going on, Zwelling? How are you, man? What is going on, Tim? Cheery, good vibes, optimism, everyone's feeling great. That's what I assume I'm walking into right now. Yeah, well, I won't show you then uh, Jeff Blair's tweet. Uh, he started Blue Jays talk on at Fan590 with simply panic, question mark, or move the lineup around. Your answer to Jeff Blair's tweet. 
Uh, probably neither. Uh, I don't know what situation in life panicking ever improves, really. Have, have you ever panicked and been like, oh, that was the right choice? <laughs> that made things better. And now that I'm flailing around and doing things irrationally and not logically working through things and even the moving the lineup around. I mean, look, I'd love it if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would hit second. I think that's the most optimal thing to do. But if Bobachet feels most comfortable hitting second or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. feels most comf- comfortable hitting third who am i to argue with them they're the guys who actually have to step into the box and player comfort is a subjective thing that is really important so analytically optimally absolutely put vladdy in in the two hole and move bow out of there but I, I understand the blue jays reasons for not doing it okay so what's the most concerning thing to you if you're not in panic mode and i'm not in panic mode either uh i think uh while it's too early to suggest i'm not it's not early we know that early is is irrelevant these days, especially after you missed the playoffs by one win last year. But I, you have time to correct this thing. What's what's the most concerning thing or the thing that needs to be corrected in your mind? Yeah, you have 80% of the season remaining right. with which to correct what is happening right now, and you're still an above 500 team. I mean, I don't know if anything's super concerning. They're, they're hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah, like the Blue Jays have been the worst club in, in baseball in terms of batting average there. But it's funny, if you look at the last 20 years of MLB uh, play, the Blue Jays and eight other teams are the worst <laughs> from this season are the worst in batting average with runners in scoring position. That's just the offensive environment that we're in right now. Batting average isn't a thing anymore. If you see a hitter walking to the plate and he is hitting 235, he's an above average hitter. If he has like a 725 OPS, he is well above average in terms of OPS. It's an extremely depressed offensive environment. But even if you look at something like weighted runs created plus, which factors in that environment and ballpark, the Blue Jays are third worst in the last 20 years. The Red Sox are the worst in the last 20 years. But then you also have clubs like the Angels and Cleveland who are the best in the last 20 years. So I think that speaks to the fact that I can't say it's early. I think that speaks to the fact that we're 20% of the way through. These stats haven't normalized yet. Things are going to change. Things are going to regress and adjust, just like the Blue Jays have been regressing to their run differential over the last week. All right, so depressed offensive uh, environment. I love it. Um, it seems like... Do pitch- you? Because I hate watching it every night. It no, sucks. I, I, just I lo- hate the style of baseball. I just love the phrase, depressed offensive environment. I, I absolutely hate it. And I also hate the fact that it seems like the pitchers hate the ball and the batters hate the ball. What are we doing if the pitchers hate the ball <laughs> and the batters hate the ball? We're making baseball even more uh, unpalatable for the common fan, I guess, is what we're doing. The, the hitters hate the ball because they are seeing balls come off their bat with exit velocities and launch angles that in prior season reliably produced home runs. Mm-hmm. And they are now seeing those balls die at the warning track. So they hate that for that reason. Pitchers hate the ball right now because it's inconsistent because they get one and it's overly chalked up and they get another that's like fresh out of the box and they get another where the seams are high and another where the seams are, as one guy put to me on the weekend, fluffy. I don't even know what that means, but he's a pitcher, so I'm going to have to take his word for it. Uh, the pitchers hate the, the the consistency of the ball and you've taken away their sticky stuff. So now you're seeing guys get hit all the time and guys are missing the zone and, and being over the plate and, and there just isn't consistency in terms of command. And then fans hate it 
because yeah, the ball's in play a bit more without the sticky stuff. There's less swing and miss and fewer strikeouts. And with the ball being deadened, yes, there are fewer home runs, but all it's produced is more balls falling into the gloves of outfielders. We're not seeing action plays. We're not seeing athletes being athletes on the base paths and around the diamond. We're just seeing a lot more fly ball outs. So fans hate it as well. Nobody is happy with the baseball right now. Do you think we get a chance? I mean, this has been since Major League Baseball bought Rawlings and now owns the way that balls are manufactured. uh, There seems to be like this conversation that happens within the I mean, here's Jimmy Garcia from last night. And obviously he was put in a situation where he was ejected from the game. But I want you to listen to what he has to say through a translator about the balls. Last night was one of the worst nights of my playing career regarding the baseballs. I mean, it's embarrassing. It was embarrassing. The balls that we're using right now for me, uh, it's bad. The balls are really bad, very slippery, and it's, I can't believe it. I know, like, man fraud and people are pissed off and they're yelling things on Twitter, but is there actually something that Major League Baseball can and should do here? Well, there's absolutely something they can do because, as you mentioned, they own the company (laughs) that manufactures the balls. And I think that they have done something because this is not the way the ball was behaving last season or two seasons ago or the season before that when it was super lively and we saw home run records being hit and guys who had no business having 25 bombs had 25 bombs, right? So clearly baseball has tweaked the ball in the past and can do do so again going forward. You know, I've heard some stuff about the humidor use across uh, mm-hmm. every MLB ballpark this year. Maybe those just haven't been calibrated quite properly yet. Maybe there needs to be some adjustments made there, but it's interesting, right? You mentioned you know, Jimmy Garcia saying that through an interpreter. There was a layer there where an interpreter could have been like, ah, Jimmy, like, do you really want to come out and say <laughs> this? And he did. He felt that strongly about it. Some of the conversations that those of us around the game have been having off the record with players are now moving on the record. So right. that is going to put pressure on baseball to do something here and i think they absolutely can and should but uh, you know i didn't see anything change today i see i saw a lot of jose barrios getting balls you know thrown back to him and he's having to rub them up himself and he was throwing discarding balls away as well like just if i were in charge i think that there should be like a predetermined substance that every ball is coated with and that pitchers should have an accepted sticky stuff behind them on the mound just like they have rosin on the mound just have a vat of whatever the tested accepted regulated sticky stuff is obviously not the world's strongest man stuff where you're picking up like (laughs) eight thousand pound atlas stones but uh, something that everyone is okay with the pitchers can use so they can put their pitches where they intend to I thought the umpiring crew had Atlas stones when they threw Jimmy Garcia out of the game last night. Um, Let's can we have a conversation one about the situation last night and what you thought of it? And then let's move on to the umpires because it feels like there's something going on here. Maybe you disagree with it. Let's start with last night. Did you agree with Garcia getting tossed or even the explanation given to Shai Davidi after 
No, of course not. And it was telling when you went and watched the Yes broadcast. So you went and watched the Yankee side, and yeah. even they were like, this is being mishandled. This is <laughs> grievous what's happening to the Blue Jays right now. So even when their side is saying that, I think you know that clearly anybody with some common sense and anybody who's been around this game knows that Jimmy Garcia shouldn't have gotten run there. And Charlie Montoyo shouldn't have gotten run after Bo Bichette was buzzed up and in later in the game. I mean, the, the whole thing was absurd and ridiculous and, and poorly handled. And it, look, I think the fact that Charlie Montoya isn't being suspended or hasn't been suspended yet is a bit of a nod from baseball saying, oh, yeah, there's some extenuating circumstances here where you don't need to be cost your manager for a game and Charlie Montoya doesn't need to lose a game check over this because of what happened. Like that was clearly mishandled. So is this 2022 and media and slow-mo and cameras all over the place catching egregious errors? Every um, broadcast now has a, a strike zone. And, and, like, why are we talking about the umpires so much? Do you have a theory? Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff does play into it. And you know, like, what, you know who the best official is in any sport? You don't know them yeah. because you don't know their name. Right. And you don't know who they are and they aren't a factor and they aren't the story. And like people like me aren't coming here and talking about them because they just do their job and fade into the background. And it is completely unnoticeable. Like that is the best officiating in any sport. And in baseball, we know a lot of umpire names. don't we? And part of that is because there is a ruling and a judgment made on literally every pitch that is thrown. So we do actually just like the umpires are kind of thrust into the game a lot more in NHL hockey on every pass. There isn't a ruling of whether that pass was like in or outside of a variable imaginary box. So (laughs) absolutely like that is part of it. And I think the job has gotten a lot harder as pitchers have thrown harder. Average will be fastball velo is 94 miles per hour this year and and stuff is moving more than ever as every pitcher has this like designer breaking ball that has been quite literally designed in a lab with slow motion cameras that break down just where the ball is coming off their fingers so their action their spin rates like their movement has been juiced to such an extent that it's just hard to make some of these calls now as an MLB umpire I I feel for them and I think that's why we're seeing some of the uh, accuracy decrease and that's probably why we're moving towards automated balls and strikes possibly as soon as next season because I think it's just the, the job is getting to a level where the human eye can't do it reliably. And, and I feel like they feel like they're being slighted and that's why they're become like they're human beings who feel like they're being slighted by all of this technology that is not necessarily how they're graded. Jeff Passan did a wonderful column in ESPN yeah. and he was talking about how umpires aren't even graded on the same strike zone that you see on your TV and yet they're being absolutely chewed out because of that strike zone. Before I let you go, um, more impressive, Reed Detmer's no-hitter or Rendon flipping over to the other side of the plate (laughs) and hitting a home run left-handed, although it was off of a position player. I guess I got to say no-hitter. I have to, right? (laughs) Reed Detmer's had to do that over nine innings. Um, Although, I mean, like, we're seeing no-hitters taking in the sixth inning every night these days. Like I said, MLB batting average is 231 this year. But if that continues, we'll see, right? That might just be an early season thing. But maybe water heats up and offense comes back. But if the batting average is 232 through till the end of the season, baseball is broken. 
offensively. Like there's a problem. The last time batting average was that low, it was six points higher in 1968, which we call the year of the pitcher. And after that season, they lowered the mound and changed the strike zone. If MLB batting average is going to be 232 through the entire season, there's going to have to be drastic changes fundamentally made to this game to juice offense back because we finally got to a point where we broke offense. We made it too hard for hitters. So it has to be read that mirrors. But the fact that you can just flip around a hit MLB home run, even if it is off an outfielder batting the wrong way is hella impressive. (laughs) It is very impressive. Uh, Impressive uh, performance here on Tim and friends. Thank you for doing this hard. Anytime, Tim. Agreed. There is uh, Arden Zwelling at the Letters Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and like and do all the things that they say on YouTube that you should do. <laughs> Time for one last break. You heard the voice, Jesse Rubinoff, last call next, right here on Tim and Presents Stanley Cup Moments. Brown ahead for Murray. Murray going in. He scores! Pavel Murray has won it for the Vancouver Canucks. It's a triple overtime hat trick for Vancouver. Murray found a way to break loose. And this hockey game is over the series is over you could experience moments like this live enter for your chance to win a vip trip to the 2022 stanley cup final enter now at rogers.com stanley cup man prime pavel bure was a sight to behold not a great memory for flames fans but they hope to make memories tonight as they host the stars in game five one of the three on the ice and on our network tonight. Milan Lucic asked about his head coach, Daryl Sutter, and how he gets the boys ready to start on time. He's not overly the rah-rah type of guy, but he he gets his message across and in, in, in to getting us ready. He's done it all year with us, and I think that's what's made us a good team this year is, is having good starts, so... It's going to be big here tonight. I assume that the seven defensemen is a fluid situation today. The guys that are out there aren't playing. So, unless, you know, unless the visiting team wants to go first and you ask them the question and they answer it, honestly, then why would I answer it? <laughs> Do you think that that actually, like, honestly makes a difference? in the way that the team prepares for the Knights game? No, not at all. Do you? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. I think that people tend to just think that he's doing it for the sake of doing it. I think there's a little, like, depending on who the guys are and what you'll do, like, it's a different scouting report. It's another guy on the list. It's a little bit of a different look, especially if it's a defender. Yeah. Like, I think that there is something to it, and until you got to fill out the game sheet, you don't have to fill out the game sheet in the media. Yeah. Well, what are you expecting I mean, tonight? I want to know, too. Yeah. What are you expecting tonight from Calgary? I, I, I feel like it's another... They, they've, they've accomplished what they needed to accomplish in Game 4. They played the way they needed to play. I thought they did that in Game 3 as well. And I don't want to separate my shoulder, pat myself on the back, but I, I said to you, I believe after Game... Three or four. What, that they're better? Yeah, no, it was actually after game two. 
Yeah, I mean, they've been better the whole time. No, but I just said you got to trust your talent. Yeah. You have to trust in your talent that you are better than the other team, and that will overcome all that you need to overcome. And sometimes a lot, especially in the postseason, teams don't trust their talent, and they end up chasing something that isn't what they do. And I thought the Calgary Flames made a slight adjustment. They weren't rewarded with it in Game 3 because Jake Ottinger played so well. And in Game 4, they were on the verge of not being rewarded with it, but they just stuck to the game plan. They ended up peppering Ottinger, and that's what they have to do again. It doesn't mean that they're going to have these easy games where um, you blow out your opponents. Like This is the way Dallas wants to play. This is the way Calgary usually plays. It's going to come down to a couple of bounces here or there. Keep the and faith. You, and you have to keep faith that yeah. you are going to have more opportunities for those bounces to go your way. Okay. Um, I want to get to uh, last night. Connor McDavid, after the loss, he was quoted as saying, uh, we scored four tonight. That needs to be enough to win a playoff game. Obviously, it's not. He was not. on the podium. He was on the podium. Yeah. Uh, now, just to get to a couple of responses, because I think it's, it's important. Uh, just Some people had an issue with what McDavid had to say and felt like he was blaming Mike Smith. So Raheem says, there's something about him that makes him hard to root for, even though he's immensely talented. Uh, Ray says, tell me you're throwing Smith under the bus without telling me you're throwing Smith under the bus. Uh, Hawkeye, in other words, our goaltending sucks. William, they're outshot badly, asleep in the first period, chasing the game all game, dominated for 72 seconds to start OT. Oilers Team D, not good enough. Too many guys fly the zone, lose battles, stay on too long, can't blame the coaches now, can't blame the goalie. Do you have an issue with what Connor McDavid said last night about implying that uh, they need to do better in keeping the puck out of their net? Yeah, I didn't know if it was necessarily a shot uh, geared towards Mike Smith. I thought it was a shot at their team defense. Mm -hmm. and that I think that he, if you talk to him and said... Um, what needs to happen for you guys to be better defensively, he would give you that answer. It would be everybody. But there were two soft goals, and the implication becomes it was Mike Smith. Do you think they have a problem in Edmonton with guys, fl with guys flying the zone early? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's a common theme throughout the season. It's not the first time we've easy, seen it. I think that's an easy way to describe uh, a style that benefits them as well right. when they lose. Because you could say the same thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that's where I see similarities in those two teams. Yeah. Like the way they play, they move the puck, and if you're not making those passes, if you're turning it over the way they did, they turned it over way too much. Yeah, sloppy. So for me to think that that was a shot at Mike Smith. Because if Connor was watching, there was a lot of turnovers that ended up in their net. They could all be better for 60 minutes. All of them. All right, uh, time to send it to Hockey Central on Sportsnet. David Amber and the crew standing by ahead of... Three games on the ice tonight. Don't forget, Edmonton outscored LA 14-2 <laughs> over two games. Yeah. This can change in a hurry. We'll continue on Sportsnet 360 with Arden Swelling. We'll discuss the Jays' rough couple of days in the Bronx. Back in 60 on 360. As for those watching on Sportsnet, enjoy Hockey Central. It is time for Last Call here on Sportsnet 360. And for Last Call, I hand it over. Jesse Rubinoff. What's uh, going on, Ruby? Not a lot of ball talk in the show, aside from uh, our man Dave McMenamin. So he had a lot of ball back. talk yesterday. Yeah, yesterday a was a big A lot of balls. Day. McMenamin was great, though. Even uh, Ron McClain went balls. Yeah, nice. Know, he's, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, so, speaking Star of... Uh, balls. Speaking of ball, uh, Nikola Jokic received his MVP award today, and he did so... <laughs> ...in a horse stable, his horse stable in Serbia. Um... This man is a legend, is he not? But you like, 
He's a huge, listen, I grew up around standard bread horse racing, which is the ones with the sulky in the back, the little buggy for those who don't yeah. know what a sulky is. He is a big standard bread horse dude. Like he is, you've got pictures of him on the internet in the sulky. Like that would be scary to see a seven footer uh, his size, uh, I mean, if you're training horses in the sulky, I would guess it's like, it's almost like, you know when you see guys training with the parachute behind mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. Having Nikola Jokic in your buggy behind you as a horse is probably paramount, same as yes. <laughs> having a parachute behind you training. I wonder if his horses do well. Yeah. I don't uh, know that. We'll have to dig a little deeper into that. But uh, the voting results for the MVP, which obviously is the reason he is uh, celebrating with that trophy, they came out. And he received 65 first place votes, a total of 875. Joel Embiid second. Uh, pretty close, actually, but not so close in the first place votes. Are you surprised at all uh, that nope. Embiid was second, Giannis nope. was third? Nope. Exactly. Booker got some votes be. there. Nope. Luca got some votes. Sometimes I like looking at who got votes. Yeah. Um, yeah me too. And that was a little too small on the screen for me to see who got votes. So maybe we'll do who got votes tomorrow. And how ridiculous that was. I can but zoom if you want me to zoom in a particular person. I was into. Well, that's what I want to see. Hold on. You no, I want to see who got votes. That's the whole point. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'm zooming in for you. All right. So uh, Steph Curry. I'm there you go. Mark Rosen. The magic of technology. Fifth place vote. LeBron James got a fifth place vote. Yeah. I got no problem with any of that. Yeah, because only the three guys that we talked about all year long were the ones who got the first place votes. Right? Yeah, interesting. Devin Booker finished fourth because uh, we had Mark Spears on here and he was talking about the fact that Devin Booker doesn't get enough love. I think that's that's plenty love. Yes. Fourth best player in the league. That's a perfect segue because we're gonna go to the Suns and Mavericks. Last night, that series is getting spicy. Last night, Dorian Finney-Smith fouled Devin Booker as he was driving to the basket. Booker stayed down on the floor to sell the call. It's pretty good. Before flashing a cheeky grin to the fans, he then called it a, quote, Luca special. So I want to know what you think a Jesse special would be. (laughs) You you, You are setting me up for absolute... I guess it would just be dancing. It would be sit-down dancing. I think if I sat down dancing, I'd call that nice. pulling a Jesse. Might have to start the show with that tomorrow. You, uh, maybe you, you can smooth a little bit? No, I think it, you look uncoordinated, and I don't think that I'd ever want to do that. Whatever, there's only so much I can do from here. You could not dance. Not in the cards. It was a night of celebration for Leaf fans after taking a 3-2 series lead over the Lightning. Among those fired up after the win was Drake, who posted this photo of Austin Matthews on his Instagram stories with the caption, Good Night Tampa. Not quite yet. What do you make of this post? I think that as a Toronto sports fan, Drake should know better. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I know that he is, first and foremost, uh, the global ambassador for the Toronto Raptors, and as such probably feels like some sort of curse has been broken, but Maple Leaf fans don't feel the same way, Drizzy. Uh, They don't count their chickens before they're hatched. In fact, there's a fatalistic view among most Leaf fans, and you might have just mushed the Leafs if they end up losing this. People are going to blame you, Drizzy. Call me next time you think about posting something about Toronto and or Canadian sports. I'll help you out. I got your back. Seems like a bit of a front-runner move to me. Oh, uh, sorry. You're telling me Drake is a front-runner? <laughs> That's my point. That's my point. At least with the Raptors, he's he's in it through thick and thin. He's been there for a while. He has a role within the team. Leafs, eh. Not, doesn't go to games. Doesn't really post about them that much. I've seen him in Leafs jerseys before. Eh. 
He's the a same. global ambassador. He works I'm for the same saying. franchise. It's just, well, you, you agree. He's, he's front-running here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he's front-running here. He is a front-runner. He oftentimes is. But I also think he's a huge sports fan. Kentucky basketball, etc. Yeah, but he goes to, like, Nike. He does stuff. You see yeah, it in his video. Sports. He yeah. really loves sports. Like, you would be surprised if Austin Matthews. And next time Austin Matthews comes on the show, I'll ask him if he has Jake's number in his phone. I bet you he does. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So then what do you, like, I, I don't know that this is front-running. I think they're actually dudes. Like, I think they've had conversations in the past. Sure. Sure. All right, I got told. Uh, Washington Commanders rookie quarterback Sam Owl has an interesting food preference. Uh, the 21-year-old says he loves chicken and refuses to try steak Sorry. or a burger. In fact, chicken is the only meat he eats. Is this cut or uncut? I see the hamster spinning on this one. This one's shocking to you. Yeah. This, this I is can like, see that. This is like a 10-year-old, t- right? The 10-year-old that only eats chicken nuggets? And this isn't that weird to me. I can't tell you why. You've never had a... You're a grown-ass man, and you've never had a steak or a burger. This is not weird to you? Well, the reason I don't think it's weird is because there's people who, like, don't eat meat. He's essentially saying he doesn't eat meat without the exception of chicken. Right? What's the difference? He could be a he could be a vegan, and we wouldn't he say. He said about he's it. never had a steak or a burger. This isn't a choice that he made somewhere along the line to be ethical to animals and or not eat red meat. This is I don't like this. It scares me. I'm going to be Tim McAuliffe's four year old who says I'm not having eggs. I'm only having chicky nuggies. No seafood either, which is a shocker to me. What's he it's not, it, so what does he eat? Only eats chicken he, and vegetables? He, I read somewhere that he brings his own chicken nuggets yeah, that's, onto yeah. the facility so that he can eat. I have a friend whose kid literally is like this. Will only eat chicken nuggets. Hot dog, no. Hamburger, no. Chicken nuggets, yes. It's a good way to stay fit. Just chicken broccoli? This is not... He's having chicken nuggets. He's having... Okay, yeah. If he's getting them from McDonald's, it's not, it's not healthy. This is not <laughs> what you're trying to make this out to be. This isn't Johnny Granola 2.0. This is a dude who doesn't like anything else but chicken nuggets and should be ridiculed. Although he is a really good athlete, so maybe... Yeah. Who am I? Works for him. The yeah, girl's maybe, some sugar. Maybe we should go to the chicken-only diet. Yeah, I, should, I should eat only chicken nuggets. <laughs> Great performance. On the pitch today, Kevin De Bruyne completed a hat trick in the 24th minute in a crucial match against Wolves. I was told that's uh, how you pronounce that sometimes, um, awesome. but Portuguese he didn't stop there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Belgian added a fourth goal in the second half as Manchester City so restored a three-point lead over Liverpool at the top of the minutes. Premier League table. Tim, how can Canada stop De Bruyne at the World Cup after a hat trick in 24? Minutes. Dobbs, help me with this. Kamar Miller, was it against Mexico and Edmonton, where in the opening minute he lowered a shoulder and a head? Uh, I think we put Kamar Miller early on Kevin De Bruyne, and that's how you slow him down, because that is unbelievable what you did today against Wolfsch. Wolfsch. They were going to have to play one good team. It's, I guess they got De Bruyne in Belgium. It's tough. A couple of teams. Yeah, that does it for us. If you like sports, this is an amazing time of year. It's all on Sportsnet. Three more in the NHL. Pens and Rangers coming up on Sportsnet and CBC. Caps and Panthers are here on 360. Flames and Stars later on Sportsnet and CBC. Doubleheader on Sportsnet 1 in the NBA, kids. Enjoy it. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. We appreciate you.